Blessings, family. Welcome to Know the Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Yatab. And in today's episode, we are going to be covering Easter. Have you ever wondered what an egg-laying rabbit has to do with the resurrection of Christ? Well, let's get right into the historic deception and more as we find out the truth according to the Word of God. Stay tuned. Now, before I hit you with the main segment, I wanted to hit you with a pre-segment. Just dropping a little jewel. This is from Encyclopedia International, China. Lexicon Publications, 1973, page 190. And it reads, Many of the customs associated with Easter are derived from various spring fertility rites of the pagan religions which Christianity supplanted. What does it mean to supplant? To take the place of another. As through force, scheming, strategy, or the like. And another definition for supplant is to replace one thing by something else. Just wanted to drop that for you at the beginning. Easter. The Historic Deception By the end of this podcast or lesson, you should have a good understanding of the different historical aspects associated with Easter. So now, we have been led, and but it's really why have we been led to believe in and participate in the celebration of Easter? And really, when you understand it, simplistically, simplistically put, it's because they put Christ in it. You have like Resurrection Sunday, you know, celebrate the Savior, celebrate uh, the one who in the world knows as Jesus Christ. So it seems eminently good. But let's understand a couple of things. Let's get Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2. Let's get the book of Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 2, and it reads, Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. From there, and you know, with that is understanding that we want to, we don't want to practice the ways of the other nations primarily and specifically if those ways go against the laws, statutes and commandments of the most high. It's not saying, you know, in terms of where, hey, if one other nation can help you save money on your taxes, not to learn that information, because even you see in terms of Jethro being of another nation, he gave advice unto Moses but that advice was good and did not go against the laws and the commandments that the most high was teaching Moses and through Moses teaching the rest of Israel at that time so we have to understand that from there let's get Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 the book of Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 the book of Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people, 
my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. So now when it comes down to the relationship God has with us, it's based on our application of his laws, statutes and commandments within our life. And furthermore, it's letting us know we're destroyed because of that knowledge and understanding that we lack and we're not applying. If if you're getting in trouble for not doing something. It wouldn't make sense to just simply not do it anyway. It would make more sense to then apply what's needed so that you would no longer get in trouble and see what is that key knowledge that's lacking. Because we as people, many of us, we don't necessarily lack information pertaining to many other things. But the key thing he's saying is there's a particular information. That's what knowledge is, information. There's a particular set of information that you are lacking. And that information is causing a disconnect between you and your power. Let's get the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 5 through 6, to understand what information are we then lacking. Shoot, the whole world is lacking. Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 5 through 6. Let's read it. Deuteronomy, chapter 4, and verse 5. It says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments. So this is Moses speaking. He says, Look, I have taught you statutes these statutes are the are represent representative representative of the laws and the judgments are the consequences for breaking those laws this is even as the lord my god commanded me because these are the things that moses at his time and age he was getting directly from god and it says even as the lord my god commanded me that ye should do so meaning you should apply these things in the land where you go to possess it. Keep, therefore, and do them. So you have to keep these things, keep record of these things, hold on to these things, and not only hold it to keep it and pass it on to the next generation, but you also must do them. You have to actually apply them in your life. It says, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statues and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So that's the goal, that we become a wise and understanding people. And particularly, you know, the more we as a people and other people begin to apply these things, the more success you'll have, the better you'll be. Because this is wisdom. This is understanding. Why then would God want you to, to throw out that wisdom and understanding? Let's get Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 16. Let's get the book of Isaiah. Chapter 9 and verse 16. Let's get the book of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 16. And it reads, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. 
So this is letting us know it's the leaders, the heads, the guides of our people that are causing them, causing us to go on a path that is not right. And us following those leaders are, are causing us to be destroyed. So in order for us to get back on the right path, we also have to question who's leading us down the path we're going. Because that's how you're in a place where you start to lose your way. And you start to, to walk in a, in a path that isn't clear. So, and of course, it's my job, hopefully through the spirit of the Most High God, to help clarify that path, to help keep you in a place to where you're more sure, you're, 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 you're on a better path, you're not confused. And so let's get into it. The origin and history of Easter. Let's start with the origin of the definition of Easter. Let's get the definition. It's from Old English, from Old English, using dictionary.com. You have Easter egg from Estre. And Easter egg is E-A-S-T-E-R-D-A-E-G. And it's from Estre, E-A-S-T-R-E, which is Northern Brian or North, Northumbrian, Northumbrian, Istri. So, and it's from Proto-Germanic, Ostron, that's A-U-S-T-R-O-N, Ostron, which means dawn. Also, the, also the name of a goddess of fertility and spring, perhaps originally of sunrise. Maybe even be why they have sunrise service, one reason whose feast was celebrated at the spring equinox. Notice that. Take note. Whose feast was celebrated at the spring equinox. It's from ost, that is east, toward the sunrise. Compare east from pi, ost, to shine, especially of the dawn. See aurora. So now, is Easter found in the Bible? That's the next thing with that. Is Easter found in the Bible? And if so, where? And what, what does the Bible speak about that? So let's get the book of Acts, chapter 12, and let's get verse 3 through 5. Acts, chapter 12, verse 3 through 5. The book of Acts, chapter 12, and verse 3. And it reads, And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So with that being said, do we have Easter being mentioned. Yes, we do. So let's get an understanding. Let's get the Strong's Concordance. We're going to use our, our tools, Strong's Concordance, definition of Easter. Let's get Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. The Strong's number for it is G3957. 
the transliterated word is Pasca. And that's getting the closest pronunciation and the closest word from the Greek to the English. Pasca. Parts of speech is a noun. Let's get the Strong's definition. It says, of Chaldee origin, compare H6453, the Passover, the meal, the day, the festival, or the special sacrifices connected with it. That's what it means when here it lists Easter's dealing with Passover, intending after Passover to bring Peter out unto the people. So now here's the thing. Like I said, then were the days of unleavened bread because that's what was being celebrated. You had the same when happening unto remember the story of Christ. When he was taken, he was crucified during Passover. So that was the time that you're seeing this is just a year or two or a couple years later. You know, so you at the same time. But in this case, like I said, they release unto one around the same time around you know, Passover in this time, you had a similar situation. So now let's continue. So we'll read like this, Acts chapter 12 and verse three through five. And it says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Passover to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, let's get another definition, another source. This is from New Ungers, U-N-G-R-S, New Ungers Bible Dictionary. This is the article on Easter. It says, Easter, from the Greek, Pascha, from Hebrew, Pesach, the Passover. And so translated in every passage except the KJV, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people, as found in Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. In the earlier English versions, Easter had been frequently used as the translation of Pascha, which we know is the Passover based upon sources we've read. Continuing on. At the last revision, that is 1611 A.V., Passover was substituted in all passages. But this, the word Easter is of Saxon origin. The name is Estra, E-A-S-T-R-A, the goddess of spring in whose honor sacrifices were offered about Passover time each year. By the 8th century, Anglo-Saxons had adopted the name to designate the celebration of Christ's resurrection. And so, you know, some may even present that. Well, maybe at that time, you know, some translators may have chosen to keep Easter there because although at the, the time in which the Israelites or Jews within that region that dwelt near and in Jerusalem, they were keeping Passover, but the heathen at that time that were in that are, or the other nations, they were celebrating Ishtar's day. They were celebrating Easter. So you can also go with, you know, that can also be an understanding 
as well and, and some teach it that way. Um, but at least from what we understand, using the Strong's Concordance and using, you know, the source that we found that Pascha is what is used, that the Jews, the Israelites celebrated Passover at this time. And that is what is being, you know, said concerning the time in which Peter is taken. OK, because the Israelites weren't celebrating what we identify today as Easter and the customs associated with it. So either way, it doesn't change in terms of the basic understanding. So let's continue on. This is from The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop, page 134. It says the festival of which we read in church history under the name of Easter in the third or fourth centuries was quite a different festival from that now observed in the Romish and Protestant church. Because if you've grown up in terms of identifying yourself as a Catholic, then you're, you're, you're coming from the Roman ideology. And if you're calling yourself a Christian, Christian, modern day Christianity stems from, Catholicism. That's why it says Protestant church. You're you're a Protestant Christian, which we'll cover more later. But the Protestants, you know, protested certain doctrines and belief systems and dealings of the Catholic Church. And so then became a, the Reformation era with Calvin and Zwingli and, and all these other at that time, you know, church fathers. So and reading from the time again, so the festival which we read in church history under the name of Easter, like we read in Acts, in the third or fourth centuries, third or fourth century AD, was quite a different festival from that now observed. So you're seeing that just because you're seeing a name that is similar to what you would identify today, the customs and traditions were completely different. So although you see Eastern Bible and you're, you're celebrating Easter, you're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm doing the same thing they're doing when you're not. You're, you're not doing and following what it is that the disciples and Christ and, you know, the Jews were, were doing at that time. And so and reading on, it says that at that time was not known by any such name as Easter because we read earlier. That's that's an that's a Saxon word that's an Anglo-Saxon word. So it was called Pasch or Pesach or the Passover. So that's what you were dealing with. And that's what the, they were celebrating. That's what they were doing. They were keeping Passover. And now reading on. And though not of apostolic institution, because it wasn't the disciples or apostles that instituted Passover. They were applying God's law, statutes, and commandments in keeping what had already been passed down. They they weren't changing those those things. It was the same thing that was passed down historically unto us. And reading on. So it says was very early observed by many professing Christians in commemoration of the death and resurrection of Christ. And as it reads, it is a memorial of his death, not his resurrection. And they have that first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. And that festival agreed originally with the time of the Jewish Passover, 
when Christ was crucified. That festival was not idolatrous and it was preceded by no Lent. So meaning in, in what's celebrated today is idolatrous pertaining unto Easter. And, and you do have all these other things that come in like Ash Wednesday and Lent that are not biblical, that are not scriptural, as we will get into within this podcast and later podcasts. And again, that is from The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop, page 134. So what is Passover and can we find it in the scriptures? Let's get Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. Let's get the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. Exodus, chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. So when the first Passover was kept, it wasn't even kept while the Israelites were in their land, but rather while they were in the land of Egypt here, as we're seeing. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And remember, we talked about, you know, understanding when the new year is. In that beginning of months, that first month, we're keeping Passover. We should be. Verse 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. For if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So we're getting an understanding. Let's continue and let's get an understanding because... The same things that are happening here is a parallel in an understanding that these things are also symbolic for Christ. Okay. They are also symbolic for Christ. And let's get that understanding as well. Let's get John chapter 1 and verse 29. So although these things are still literally done and still practiced today. It's a situation where these things are also symbolic and represent Christ, even at that day, day and age, or even at that time. As the scriptures say in Hebrew, these, those things were a shadow of things to come. And it also represented, you know, Christ and what he would do in his purpose. For everything was written, everything was foretold, that it was all predestined. God understood how these things would unfold. Let's get John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Okay, so he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Why? Because you know that Christ coming, he was coming in, in a like manner as a lamb. As a sacrifice, because you know lambs were oftentimes used for sacrifices. Let's get Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 17. He shall take away the sin of the world. But now let's understand concept. What 
world is being mentioned or talked about or referenced to. Let's get the book of Isaiah. Chapter 45 and verse 17. And it reads, but Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. So let you know that the Israelites, they shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Okay, it's specifying the type of salvation they shall receive. It says, you shall not be ashamed, meaning there's no shame in having that understanding or knowledge, nor for you, if you're an Israelite, you know, if you listen, if you're an Israelite, to be ashamed of that nor confounded, nor is there anything to be confused about. That is that is quite clear in terms of what it is saying. World without end, that your world should be one without end, continuous, perpetual. Let's get Acts chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. Let's get the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 30 through 31. The book of Acts chapter 5 and... Verse 30, it says, the God of our fathers, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him, because that's also what a cross is. A cross is a is a tree, you know, so the God of fathers raised up Jesus, meaning he came down through our lineage, through our forefathers, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. So that's how he's crucified on a tree. Him hath God exalted, meaning uplifted, with his right hand to be a prince. A prince is a ruler. A prince is a ruler underneath their king. Let you know that Christ is subservient to the Most High. He is underneath the Most High power, the Most High God, as it's always been. And a savior, a savior is one, and it's in the name, a savior is one who, who saves. But what are they saving you from? And it lets us know right here within this passage for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, to give repentance to the Israelites that are scattered across the four corners of the of the of the of the globe of the earth and forgiveness of sins, because that was the key thing that was happening. They were falling into transgression, which is why Christ had to come. So let's get Exodus. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. And let's read verse five through six. Let's get Exodus chapter 12 and let's read verse five through six. Book of Exodus chapter 12 and verse five. And it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Let's get verse 8 through 10. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 8. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head, with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. Let's skip down to verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. So 
when you memorialize something, what are you doing? One of the root of you, look at the word, is you're keeping it in memory. So, and let me get the definition from dictionary.com, memorial. Something designed to preserve the memory of a person, event, etc. As a monument or a holiday. And that's exactly what this is, a holy day. So, let's continue back to verse 14. It says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. So this is a feast. This is one of God's feasts. He said to keep it throughout your generations. So this is what we are to do. So what are the generations? It says one definition, generation, the entire body of individuals born and living at about the same time. So when it's one example, all of us alive right now are part of one generation in that time. Others may say, by number two, the term of years, roughly 30 among human beings, accepted as the average period between the birth of parents and the birth of their offspring. Some may even say every 30 years, a generation. Nevertheless, this deals with a hey, throughout your generations, continue to keep this immoralized. And that's the same reason why you see it in the New Testament. Same reason why, because, hey, we're commanded keeping they we're still keeping it. And we're still to keep it. Let's see. Throughout your generations, you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So forever. So forever means continuously. He didn't put a stop on it. You're to keep it forever. And that's why you see the apostles and others keep it because he never put a time stamp on when to stop keeping it. Else it would then he would then put that in there to, hey, stop it at this time before then thou must no longer keep it. You don't read that. Let's get verse 17 through 18. Exodus chapter 12, verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. So he remember, he reiterates it. If it's if it's not important, if it didn't matter, why would he reiterate it? You don't reiterate things that just don't matter. You wouldn't keep saying it again. It's like as a parent, if I tell you, clean your room. And then I remind you, hey, make sure you don't forget to clean your room. I'm probably emphasizing something that I really want you to do. And then you as a child don't say, all right, well, <laughs> I mean, she said that like three hours ago. Maybe she don't, my mom doesn't want me to clean my room anymore. My dad, he said, don't worry about it anymore. And, you know, that was like some time ago. Now, I'm pretty sure they reiterated they want you to still do this. Verse 18, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even. So he's very specific on when to keep it and how to keep it. OK, now let's see if there's a count of this in the New Testament. Let's get the book of Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Let's get some understanding. Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Now, his parents, and I can actually start verse 40. It says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. So Christ grew. He grew both physically and spiritually. So, and he was growing strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God 
was upon him. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So now, this also is letting us know that when you look at the parents of Christ, they were keeping Passover. They, they, they were, it lets you know that they were keeping Passover. So then what then were they teaching their son to do to keep Passover? And that was a good thing, especially that the Most High God chose them as a family to raise Christ. He, he chose them. He wouldn't choose someone that was wicked or that wasn't moving right. That would be a bad example or bad parents unto Christ. So they were keeping the feast. And it also mentions age, which is more so taken to be a sign that more than likely his birthday is around, if not on, Passover, you know. But again, you know, that's just based upon what's taken with his age being mentioned right here within this passage. So as far as the close we can get to, hey, I suppose his birthday could have been around that time. Um, seeing they mention it in context around the Passover. So like I said, when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So, and it was a yearly situation to keep the feast. So it wouldn't be something that they just now started that he was 12. So let's continue. Let's get Luke chapter 22 and verse one. Let's get Luke chapter 22 and verse one. You know, some might say, well, his birthday seems to be around Passover. For sure, he died on the Passover. It would make sense in the spirit of things that he would be coming back one year shortly from now around Passover, around that 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 season. Just to speak in in terms of what seemed to make the most sense. OK, of course, no man knows when that exact time will be, but you know, it, you wouldn't be wrong for having that. Hey, that might be somewhere around that season. Let's get Luke chapter 22 verse one. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So now here it is. You have the feast of unleavened bread, also known as Passover. It's coming. It's approaching. Let's get jump down to verse seven and let's read seven through 13. Verse seven. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So see, it wasn't treated like optional. They said, hey, there's we have to keep this. Verse eight. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. So now, if it didn't matter anymore, Christ said, hey, look, <laughs> you have no need to keep this. I am the Passover. You, you have no need. He just would have simply told them that, hey, there's no need to, to keep this feast. You know, surely I, the son of God, am, am sufficient. You know, he didn't say that. He said, hey, we must keep this feast. And he made sure the disciples who would become apostles and, and, and later bishops, leaders, that they were keeping that feast and he made sure it was important that they must keep it verse 9 and they said unto him where would thou that we prepare so where do we have to go and they still made sure that they had to prepare accordingly 
for the feast. Verse 10, And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. So he's making sure, and this is the words of Christ, he's making sure, hey, tell him, so we can make sure I eat the Passover and we all, we all eat it together to make sure we're all of one accord and we're abiding by what it is God told us we need to make sure we're following and doing. Let's read on. And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there. Make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover. They still prepared everything according like what we read in the Old Testament. In New Testament, it's no different. Let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. Some may say, well, they did that, but only before his death. Now, after his death, they still kept it. Let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's read verse 7. It says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So it's like, okay, you would say, well, it's good then. Christ the Passover, we sacrificed for us, so we good, we don't got to keep it. But no, that's not what they said. They said, verse 8, therefore let us keep the feast. So we still supposed to keep it if we're being followers of Christ. And you keep it to the to the best of, of your ability. You learn it, you study, you know, and as we cover these pockets, I'll, I'll divulge you more information, you know, and give you more and more understanding in future podcasts. But we're taking it step by step because we first have to start repenting changing our ways from some of the idolatrous things that the world celebrates. So you're not going to get it all in a day, but gradually, slowly, but surely you learn that, Hey, do this, not that similar. Like they have, uh, what is it? Certain, you know, posts and websites to eat this and not that Well, we're learning hey, do this, not that. And, and that's how we start to gradually make changes. Yeah. Some things may take you some time. Other things you'll be able to pick up on faster. So, but hey, if it takes you, you know, uh, uh, a week, a month, a year, the what's more important is that you're still pressing toward that mark. Okay. And let's continue on. It's my job to just deliver these things so you can be educated. And now the choice is yours. Let's continue on. And it says, I'll read it again. Verse eight. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven. Because that leaven represents sin. We don't want we don't want sin. We don't want that 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 leaven of, of sin or wickedness. So it's not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, let's get John chapter four. Let's get John chapter four, verse twenty through twenty-one. Let's get the book of John. Chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. John chapter 4, verse 20 says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Because some people have that. You can only keep the feast in Jerusalem. That's not the case. Let's see what Christ said. Verse 21. 
Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So even if you're not in those particular locations, you still are required to still worship and serve the Father. And it was already unto Christ already understood that. He said, man, the time's coming. Well, you're not, you're not going to be just literally here on this mountain or here within even at Jerusalem keeping the feast. You're going to be out across the four corners where all the different places due to captivities, due to slavery, due to all these different things that are happening, due to mixed marriage. You're going to be in other places. Your descendants will. Okay, let's get into the next segment. Fertility worship in other gods, the mother and the child. So you may have asked yourself again, what does the resurrection of Christ have to do with a egg laying rabbit? Let's get some of that understanding. Let's get Ishtar. From the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, 4th edition, year 2000. Ishtar, mythology, the chief Babylonian and Assyrian goddess associated with love, fertility, and war, being the counterpart of the Phoenician Astarte, that is A-S-T-A-R-T-E. Ancient, and this is from Encyclopedia Mythica, article Astara, O-S-T-A-R-A. An ancient Anglo-Saxon myth, Astara is the personification of the rising sun. In that capacity, she is associated with the spring and is considered to be a fertility goddess. She is the friend of all children, and to amuse them, she changed her pet bird into a rabbit. Say it again. She changed her pet bird into a rabbit. This rabbit brought forth brightly colored eggs, which the goddess gave to the children as gifts. From her name and rights, the festival of Easter is derived. Astora is identical to the Greek Eos and the Roman Aurora. So now you're starting to get more information as to, well, where do all these other things come from? What is the history? Many, and this is from Encyclopedia International, China, Lexicon Publications, 1973, page 190. Many of the customs associated with Easter are derived from various spring fertility rites of the pagan religions which Christianity supplanted. What does it mean to supplant? It means to take the place of another as to force, scheming, strategy, or the like. The second one it has here is to replace one thing by something else okay let's get leviticus chapter 20 and verse 23 so let's read leviticus chapter 20 and verse 23 and it reads 
and ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations, which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. So, of course, God is letting us know through his word, don't do the other customs that the other nation are doing, which I'm telling you not to do. Do the things I'm telling you to do. And what does it mean to abhor? Let's get dictionary.com. The definition of abhor, A-B-H-O-R, is to regard with extreme repugnance or aversion, detest utterly, loathe, abominate. None of those things sound like where I want to be in relation to the creator. I want to replace abhor with love, admire, respect. So I want to do the things that are pleasing unto the father, pure point blank. And of course, in my walk, everyone listening to this will have to choose how they move according to their walk. Now, let's get another source. And this is from the new question box, Catholic Life for the 90s. Copyright 1988 by John J. Dietzen. That is D-I-E-T-Z-E-N. M-A-S-T-L. I-S-B-N. Zero hyphen nine four zero five one eight hyphen zero one hyphen five paperback. Published by Guildhall Publishers, Peora, Illinois, 61651. Page 554. And it reads, the reasons for celebrating our major feasts when we do are many and varied. In general, however, it is true that many of them have at least an indirect connection with the pre-Christian pagan feasts celebrated about the same time of year. Feasts centering around the harvest, the rebirth of the sun at the winter solstice, now December 21st, but December 25th in the old Julian calendar, the renewal of nature in spring, and so on. Let's get Amos chapter 5 and verse 21. Let's get the book of Amos, chapter 5, and verse 21. And it reads, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. And the reason why, if you read in context, was because... There was wickedness involved. There was sin. If there's sin or any sort of wickedness involved, even if you are keeping certain feasts that you read and see in a Bible, it's still not acceptable if the other works you are doing outside of that feast are not right. You can't be a fornicator and adulterer and still try to keep God's feast and think it's all good. You still have a duty to still work to completely apply the laws, Ten Commandments in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. 24-7, 
fighting, learning, and working to be righteous. From here, let's get the book of Jeremiah. Let's get the book of Jeremiah, chapter 44 and verse 17. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 44 and verse 17, and it reads, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done we and our fathers our kings and our princes in the cities of judah and in the streets of jerusalem for then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil this here is the mindset of wicked israelites wicked followers of god because what they're saying is similar to what some may even have listened to this or others within, you know, within your respective families. They'll say the same thing when it comes down to hate. When you're trying to tell, let, let's do what God says, do. let's do what is found in the scriptures. It's like, no, we're going to do what we what we say we're going to do. And we still going to, you know, worship and keep what we've been keeping. And our father's been keeping it in the same. Our rulers and leaders been keeping my past and everything else, and my granddad, and my grandma, and that's what we're going to keep doing. And we're doing that. We seen well. We didn't seem like we had any major problems. Didn't seem like lightning came out the sky. So that's what we're going to continue to do. Not understanding how God works. Not understanding that when you reject that, there and even if you try to tell them and convince them, hey, let's let's change our ways. And they choose to reject that information or, or, or reject you. It's not you they're rejecting. It's the most high. Even for us, even if we of ourselves choose to, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, you you the choice is always yours, but that does not mean that there aren't repercussions for that choice. And you don't have to look and expect those repercussions to come immediately. That all of a sudden, because I erred in this, there should be an immediate judgment right after that. That's not necessarily the, the way that it works. It can work that way, but that's not the norm. Okay, and let's continue on. Let's get the book of Judges. Get the book of Judges chapter 2 and verse 13. Judges chapter 2 and verse 13, and it reads, And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And that's not something that they just did then. That's also something many people do now. Because what does it mean to forsake? Let's read the definition of forsake from dictionary.com. First one to give us to quit or leave entirely. Abandon. Desert. The second one is to give up or renounce a habit way of life, etc. So they started to quit or leave off following the Most High and serving the Most High God in certain ways and started to then follow and serve Baal and Ashtaroth and some of these other, you know, so-called gods. I'm going to read another source. It says, quote, the term Easter is not of Christian origin. It is another form of Astarte, 
one of the titles of the Chaldean goddess, the Queen of Heaven. The festival of Basak, that is Passover, was a continuation of the Jewish, that is God's, feast. From this, Pasak or Pasch, the pagan festival of Easter was quite distinct and was introduced into the apostate Western religion as part of the attempt to adapt pagan festivals to Christianity, end quote. And that is from W.E. Vine, Merrill F. Unger, William White Jr., Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words, Article Easter, page 192. Let's get the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5 and verse 21. Let's get 1 Timothy, chapter 5 and verse 21. And it reads, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one above or excuse me rather one before another doing nothing by partiality and that's the same way that we are to live this word and teach his word we can't become partial in terms of well we like these things so we do this but we don't like these things so we don't do them or hey i like teaching these things but I don't like teaching these things, so I don't teach them. It's no, we have to work it within ourselves to holistically teach and preach this word and read what it says and do what it says. Okay, um, we can't bend our ways to seek love. Let's get Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 16. The book of Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 16, and it reads, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord. And read, no one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. You want to seek out this book, which is a collection of books known as the Bible. This is the book of the Most High God. And this is what you want to take time to read and study. Because nothing contained, no one of these words or prophecies shall fail. And there's no mate. When it says none shall want her mate, you there's no, a mate is a companion. There's no companion that is needed to go with the Bible, with the scriptures. The Bible is a standalone book. Like, you know, I say, there is no Bible 2 coming out. You know, you're not looking for a Bible 2. The Bible is complete with everything it is in which the Most High allowed his spirit to preserve for us. Yeah, we still had other books. Yeah, there was other information out there. But what was preserved what was most important and most conducive for salvation. Let's continue. The Babylonians believed that this day commemorated the resurrection of one of their gods, who they called Tammuz, who had the reincarnated Nimrod, or sun god, king of Babylon. And Ishtar is Queen Semiramis, the moon goddess, the mother and wife of Nimrod. Let's get Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 through 10. 
the book of Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kauna, and the land of Shinar. And that's where you later get a lot of those cities and a lot of those languages of people, like the Akkadians. That's from Akkad, beginning of his kingdom. Babylon, it's from Nimrod. So, and what does Babel mean? Let's get an H in the Strong's Concordance, H894. Babel, confusion. Babel, that is Babylon, including Babylonia and the Babylonian Empire. So this is ancient Babylon, which you read later on in the scriptures, you'd be Isaiah, Jeremiah, is Neo-Babylon. Okay, this is ancient Babylon, Neo-Babylon. And today with, you know, America, this is spiritual Babylon. So, but yet and still, Babylon means city of confusion. And by city, it doesn't literally mean what we think of a city like um, you know, Memphis or uh, Sacramento or Inglewood, Los Angeles. It doesn't mean that. It means, and, and what it's dealing with, it's not only inclusive of that, but it also entails what we may identify today as states or countries. So those are also inclusive of you know, cities, according to, you know, Bible kingdoms, cities, kingdoms, th those things are also inclusive of that. So now, Tammuz is an ancient nature deity worshipped in Babylonia, a god of agriculture and flocks. He personified the creative powers of spring. He was loved by the fertility goddess Ishtar. In the Bible, his disappearance is mourned by the women of Jerusalem, which we can read in Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 14. Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 14, and it reads, Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. So although... They seem to be in the in the in the right place, you know, or near the right place, because like you said, he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. But these women, they weren't worshiping the most high God. They were worshiping Tammuz. Now, when Semiramis became pregnant, she propagated a doctrine that after Nimrod's untimely death, his spirit had ascended to the sun and was from then on to be called Baal. The sun god. Let's get Second Kings chapter seventeen and verse sixteen. Second Kings chapter seventeen and verse sixteen, and it reads, "And they, our people, all let the commandments of the Lord their God, and made them molten images, that is, idol or liquid substance, but usually an idol made out of some type of liquid substance like gold or silver." even two cows, and made a grove. A grove is a cluster of grass. And worshipped all the host, meaning legion of 
gods, all the hosts of heaven, and serve Baal, Nimrod, the sun god. So and you'll find the same combination need to be you look up Tammuz and, and looking up his mother, you'll find it throughout Babylonia, Asia, India, Colombia, Egypt, you'll find it. So Semiramis also announced the people of Babylon that the rays of the sun, which was Nimrod, the sun god, descended upon her and caused the immaculate conception of Tammuz. It has even been said that Tammuz became a hunter like his father. Legend has it that a wild pig killed Tammuz and his spirit also ascended to the sun. Nimrod, sun god. The two of them would be worshipped in the form of a candle or lamp flame as father, son, and spirit. So and you'll see that if you look up, you know, Tammuz, the son, Nimrod, the father, Semiramis, the dove, and having them in a form of a type of trinity, you know, and that being the Holy Ghost. That Semiramis was initially included in the pagan Babylonian trinity as the Holy Spirit. So when we choose to celebrate Easter, we are worshiping a false father and son, both of whom have no spirit of truth according to righteousness. The people of Babylon worshiped the sun by meditating upon Nimrod and by making a sign of a T in front of their hearts, mind or forehead, as they worshiped them. And you have many that do even today with Ash Wednesday. There was also a decree of a 40-day period, a day for each year, that Tammuz lived set aside to weep for Tammuz. So, it even customs like that. Let's get Daniel 7 and 25. Get the book of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. Because, of course... When the power is within your hands, the court is saying he shall speak great words against the Most High. This prophecy is speaking about Esau, the progenitor of who you would identify as those who proclaim today to be Europeans or even as you may deal with, you know, why he said hey, they shall speak great words against the most high against what it is that he says is righteous like how layman terms that oh you know a man doesn't have to you know wear a beard oh what are you doing looking like a caveman or looking like you're homeless shave your beard you know and that's become professional to have a clean shaven face well that's um, what you deal with as far as being wicked or, or satanic and that's something that's perpetuated throughout his kingdoms or when you deal with that, oh, scriptures say, hey, you should wear a fringes ribbon of blue. He says, oh, you know, for him, bending for a tuck in your shirt, you know. So, you know, to try to hide those things. And, or need be, hey, a man could be a woman, a woman could be a man. These are all great words to speak against what it is the Most High, through his word, his scripture tells us to do. Where's out the saints of the Most High through slavery, captivity, um, you know, not only with child or slayer, but even, you know, from indentured servants to even, you know, now even a paid employee is still a slave. 
So in Think to Change Times and Laws, he's changing these things because he can't really change the laws of God. He can't really change time in terms of affecting the sun, moon, or stars. But he can teach you different. Let's continue on. Let's get Psalms chapter 83, verse 3 through 5. Psalms chapter 83, verse 3 through 5. Psalms chapter 83 and verse 3. It says, they have taken crafty. Crafty means wicked counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Okay. When you read the book of Psalms, chapter 83, you can read a, a couple of more scriptures down. But you'll find out that the other nations made a plan to come against. You read verse 6. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines, Gabel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. So you're reading here what we would identify today as those, the so-called Jews that call themselves Jews as Amalek. You're reading Tyre and the Philistines, those are the Africans, and you're reading the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, you're reading Moab and, you know, and Ammon, that's the Chinese and Japanese and other Asian, you know, races. And you're also dealing with Edom, that's, you know, so-called. I mean, you're dealing with all these nations people that came against us to cut us off from being a nation, from having that land, for having language, to having identity. So they consulted with an agenda to cut us off and that we would no more be in remembrance. Although we're scattered amongst all of those people in this day and age. And so you can't look on the outward appearance alone because Israelites are scattered amongst all of these people. Let's get Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 14, and verse 16. It says, and it reads, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 14, and verse 16. Thus, in process of time, an ungodly custom grown strong was kept as a law, and graven images were worshipped by the commandments of kings. And so that's what we see today. Ungodly customs, customs that don't have anything to do with the creator, don't have anything to do with God, were kept as a law. And you have all these different graven images and all the different idols of worship by the commandments of kings, rulers, leaders, but not of the Most High. Let's get Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. Let's get Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. And it reads, Romans chapter 1 verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie? And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That all the, these things that man took upon himself or herself to make into gods, to make idols, these are not gods because they are not the power we are to worship. Although we see greatness in some of these things that have been created, doesn't matter if you're looking at the water, the earth, 
The sun, the moon, the stars, all these things are, are great creations. Marvelous. Beautiful. However, they were made by a power more beautiful, stronger, and powerful than 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 they. So it's instead of worshiping those things, the creation worship the creator. Let's get Revelation chapter 17 and verse 2. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 2, it says, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. They've taught society lies. And the inhabitants, meaning society, of the earth have been made drunk. Meaning they started learning to accept and observe these false holidays. With the wine, meaning the lies, of her fornication, her psychological and subliminal and spiritual warfare. Now let's get Job, the book of Job chapter 9 and verse 24. Let's get the book of Job chapter 9 and verse 24. And it reads, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? So the earth is given to the hand of the wicked. The wicked currently Ruling the earth, who's primarily ruling the earth? When you look at primarily within all the, the countries, states, kind of who's the primary nation of people ruling the earth? And it's all one key people. It's your Caucasian people. They call themselves German, French, Russian. They're all one nation in the eyes of God, but different tribes. So it's the same people that are covering when you cover something, you're hiding, you're concealing. He's concealing the faces of the judges, the true judges of the earth. And he's going to say, if not, if not him, where and who is he? What people then? What people then would you put in that slot that you say is truly ruling and dominating the earth as a whole in your eyes? So now check on learning. Is the word Easter found in the Bible? Yes. Why is Easter found in the Bible? Well, translators substituted Pascha with Easter. What holiday or what holy day, rather, should we be keeping? Passover. So, and of course, you know, there's a lot of information out there, um, you know, and hopefully... I pray you guys got something out of this and that you continue to listen, to follow, and to learn more. Okay? Chew the meat. Spit out the bones. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember to show your support by following and sharing the podcast with family and friends. Next episode, if God permits, we will be going over Easter Part 2, Customs and Beliefs, from Ash Wednesday to Good Friday. Let's see if these are doctrines of God or commandments of men. And you can learn this and more on the next episode. I pray you tune in, because this is life-saving content your soul can't afford to miss. <laughs>